0: Welcome to Life Church. We are an X242 Community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through his word and by his spirit. Good, we're in the book of First Samuel today, but we're still on the subject of prayer, and it's wonderful when you've prepared. Your message, and you know what you're going to say, and then you watch unfold a meeting with worship and people leading, uh, and all of the content works in harmony with what you've prepared because the Holy Spirit knows what's going to happen on any one Sunday ahead of time. And I don't share with Neil or Nathan what I'm going to speak on, not normally anyway, but today the way that the worship and, and, and the leading dovetails with the message is what do we do when it seems like God is not coming through for us? What do we do when it seems like God is not coming through for us? So First Samuel chapter 1, we will look at First Samuel chapter 2 in very small part, but primarily chapter 1. I haven't got time to read through the whole chapter itself. I'm going to pick out some verses to discuss, to talk about, to unpack. So let me give you in brief what is going on here. Give you the backdrop, the context. So the main person in this passage, in this chapter... Is a lady called Hannah. Hannah, she is the second wife of a man called Elk Anna. So Hannah and Elk There is another wife in the situation, Peninnah. Now, back in those days, polygamy was a um, it was a thing, seemingly acceptable. Since then, we've wised up. And we realize, for anyone that's married, one wife is more than enough. And I'm sure many women would say, one husband is more than enough. So she's the second wife of a man. There's another lady in the equation. The difficulty for Hannah is that she desperately wants a child... And she's not able to have one, yet Penana she is able to have children and she taunts Hannah that she couldn't have children. So you imagine year after year, I mean you know what it's like in a household when someone keeps up with the same argument over and over again. You keep doing this or you're not good enough in this respect and someone keeps pointing out your failings or shortcomings like a dripping tap. Your head's going to pop with the, with the frustration of it all. So Hannah is desperate to receive an answer from the Lord. Now the first thing we get here to look at, it, from, from my point of view anyway, is in verse 5 of chapter 1. It says that Elkanah gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though it was the Lord that had kept her from conceiving. It's the Lord that has kept her from conceiving. Now, there are two parts to this I would, I would offer to you as to, as to correctly interpret what's going on here. First of all, I believe that this image of being, uh, sorry Hannah being unable to conceive this child as as it's directed to happen from heaven by God himself, was not because God was trying to rob Hannah of the opportunity to have a child, but knowing what she would do in terms of calling out to him, he's seemingly holding back in order to draw Hannah in, so she comes to him in prayer, because if she had a child without any trouble she would have a child. But if she has a child through coming to God in prayer and anguish, she also gains sanctification and an opportunity to draw close to God. So God seemingly allows this situation to happen Because he's looking for an opportunity, knowing what was in Hannah's heart, knowing her character, knowing her personality, to draw her close to him, to get her to call out to God, because that very process of coming to him in prayer would profoundly affect Hannah. And also make sure that the child she has will be a child who is bathed in prayer and becomes not just a son of Hannah, but becomes a son of the nation because what God was going to do through that answered prayer was not only deliver Hannah from her shame he was going to deliver Israel from its problems God had a bigger picture in mind than just Hannah's need of a child and I think the second part of this is that her situation mirrored the nation's situation at the time it says in that same part of the verse at the beginning, sorry, in the same verse at the beginning, that her husband gave a double portion to her, but she was without children. It's almost as if she mirrors the, the nation's situation. That there was favour upon her, but there was a barrenness in her situation because there was a spiritual block And the same thing was going on in the nation of Israel at the time when we read through the story later on and you get Eli and his sons, they were misbehaving in the temple. And their misbehavior and the context of the nation was such that God had a special anointing on the nation of Israel, but there was a spiritual block on them as a nation. So it's as if Hannah's enacting, prophetically enacting out the problems with the nation through her own womb. There was a favour upon her, The husband of Israel, God Almighty, he had favour on the nation, but there was barrenness, there was restriction, there was a block. And he needed someone to call out in prayer because the people who should have been calling out in prayer, Eli and his sons, those people in priestly positions, they weren't doing their job. So God needed to get someone on their knees to come before him and ask for a solution. And knowing what was in Hannah's heart, knowing how she would respond to her barrenness, she wasn't going to respond in bitterness, she was going to respond in intercession. He chose her as the vehicle of blessing for the nation. So we mustn't interpret God's restriction on the situation on on Hannah's womb here as something of punishment on Hannah or God just being mean. He's setting her up for success though he allows for a season frustration because it will draw the best from his servant. And then once Hannah has bathed the situation in prayer, she sought Almighty God, then God releases what he always intended for Hannah to happen in such a way that it won't just serve her, but it will serve the breakthrough that the nation needed at that time. So God's never indifferent to people's struggle and situation. And even at times when we feel that God may be withholding something, we must never judge his intentions as one, as dif- of, one of trying to increase our difficulty. He's looking for an opportunity not just to progress us, but to progress what can, be, what can happen as a result of him answering our prayer. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to call out to him. He wants us to look to him. He knows there will be struggle. He knows there will be travail. He knows there will be difficulty. He knows there will be seasons of pain while we're doing that, but that's the same thing that God's going through with his sons and daughters as well. It was the same thing that was going through God's experience for the nation of Israel. He wanted them to go forward. He didn't want them to be barren, and yet there it was. So he sets Hannah up for deliverance through her barrenness. Now, the second thing I would draw our attention to is in verse 13. It says this, Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli, who is the priest, thought she was drunk. Now, if you go out on a Saturday night in most towns, there'll be a few people kind of burbling and mumbling along who are genuinely drunk. But Hannah was not drunk. And Eli, the priest, couldn't actually hear what was being said. And I think this is significant because Hannah, when she gets her breakthrough she couldn't attribute the breakthrough to the intercession of somebody else, she got to, to discover, discover the revelation that God knows the silent cries of her heart. Eli the priest couldn't get involved because he had no, what, no, no uh, understanding of what was being said. And maybe if Hannah was the type of person to think, oh well, I went to speak uh, in, in prayer and, and the priest heard me, maybe he went and gave an offering or a sacrifice on my behalf, that's how I got the breakthrough, she would have attributed it to somebody else. But she gets to discover that even in the unspoken words, the unspoken cries of her heart, God hears. She then gets to discover God hears her. And so many times in our Christian lives, we think that God hears somebody around us, maybe God only hears the pastor or that special prayer warrior friend that we have. But it's great to discover on our Christian journeys that God hears every one of us. He knows the silent cries of everybody's heart. I remember when I was back in, in, in Monaco when we were about two years in to our tenure there as, as, as the pastor of the, of, of the church. It was tough at this particular point. Very, very tough. I shared something of the story before. And at that time in my season in Monaco, I hadn't told anybody how tough it was. I just was working it through privately in prayer, asking God, what do I do? How do we go about this? I'm not quite sure how we can fix this. There are problems that we're coming up against. We seem to be up against immovable forces which are not moving out of the way for us to spiritually progress the the spiritual life of this church. And I remember one evening, I was at a, a, a kind of a glorified house group. Um, I say glorified, it just means in terms of its numbers, I think it was about 20 of us there. And it was a big apartment. And there was a couple who were from Argentina, uh, a part of a, a large church in Argentina. And uh, Carlos Anacondia is the name of the guy who was the revivalist as headed up the, the church that they were part of, a very, 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 very powerful man of God. And um, this, this couple who were travelling through Europe, mainly in ch- churches where they were Spanish-speaking, but they had an interpreter, because the wife couldn't speak a word of English. I'm sure if I said to her, hi, she would get what that means, but nothing else, literally nothing else. So they were going around the room praying for people, and she gets to me. And then she starts speaking to me in English. I've told you this story before, but it's worthwhile telling again. So she says, she says, man of God, I see you like a um, um, a spear being driven up against a brick wall. And you're not quite sure which is going to break first, the spear or the wall. But this situation is nothing to do with the wall. It's all to do with sharpening the spear because of the plans that God has for the spear. And so she looks at her interpreter and says, I'm waiting for the interpretation because she thinks she gave me a message in tongues. And the interpreter says, you don't need me to interpret, you just told him in English. Now, I hadn't had that happen to me before, but you know what I couldn't say to myself ever from that point forward is that God doesn't hear the quiet prayers of my heart. Because God demonstrably showed to me he does hear the cries of my heart. Because I was saying, God, what, why, where, how? And God said, okay, I'm going to bring a Spanish lady from Argentina to stand in an apartment in Monaco and give you a message in tongues in English so you can't think that she's made this up in her head. She knows nothing of your situation and she'll tell you exactly what you're there to do. And you stand back and you think, Uh Uh-oh, wow, what else does he see? (laughs) So the silent prayers of our heart are not silent to God. Hannah couldn't attribute this to the intercession of Eli. She couldn't put it down to the priest putting an offering on the altar on her behalf. She could only come out of that situation knowing that God knew what was going on for her. He had seen her struggle. He knew her pain. He understood the reasons for her travail. He got it all because he had always been involved in her situation. Because it was him that had not allowed her to conceive in the first place. He was just using that as his opportunity to get her on her knees, to call out to God for deliverance. Now the third point is this, in verse 20. It didn't just happen overnight. There wasn't just this mumbling in front of Eli, God hears the cries of her heart, she goes home, has a date night with her husband, and wham, bam, then comes a baby. That's the sanitized version of that. Verse 20, it says, After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. In the Amplified Version, it says, It came about in due time. It came about in due time. So the point here was... God knew her womb was closed. It drives her to a point of frustration. She calls out on God, and in her silent, mumbling cries out to God, God hears her and he sets her up for an answer. But there was still a delay in time between the supplication and God's application to bring it to pass. There still would have been time afterwards when Hannah could have questioned herself and thought, Did God really hear that prayer? is God doing something or not? Am I going to keep going through this shame and this embarrassment and this fear and this social discomfort because of my situation forever and a day? Is God going to come through for me? But the text says there that after some time was actually in God's due time. So there can be delays between God's answers and the experience of the solution. And this is this concept of faith where we have to walk out trusting that God will come through with no evidence to our natural instincts that that is going to be the case. That God will deliver on his promises when all natural indications are that he hasn't. Walking by faith and not by sight. Walking by God's word and not by what we see. But all the time through these twists and turns for Hannah, it's God that has set her up for this solution. The next point I would make is from verses 27 to 28. It says, I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives... He is given to the Lord, and then she worshipped the Lord there. Because she is thankful to God for God removing her shame, her embarrassment, her fear, her her sense of dishonour, she then treats what she's received with an understanding of it being God's gift and it being grace, and she doesn't hold on to it in such a way that she just... It's, it's her little thing for her to control, her, her boy now for her to keep. She surrenders what God has given her back to the Lord. And because she does that, she actually places Samuel in the very centre of the spiritual life of Israel in order for God's voice to begin to be heard again in the heart of the nation. Samuel's name means heard by God. God wanted someone back in the temple who would hear him. He needed somebody in the spiritual heart of the nation who had their spiritual ears open, who wasn't using the ministry as an opportunity to feather their own pockets because Eli's sons were taking the best parts of the portions of the offerings and keeping them for themselves. God didn't want that to happen so he chose Hannah so she would call on him knowing her heart would then gift the child back to God, put him right in the place for God to not only help Hannah but to then outwork the plan he had for the whole nation. And you know what Samuel's greatest point of honour was going to be other than hearing God again and restoring the word of God to the temple? He was going to be the man who would later on Go to the house of Jesse and make sure that David, who was going to be the pre-Messianic king over the nation of Israel, would be pointed out as the man and then anointed for that role as king over the nation of Israel. If Samuel wasn't there to listen, who would have heard what God wanted to happen when it came time to put a king over the nation like David. If you've got nobody listening to the Lord, then the wrong people get picked for the job. So Samuel, although there was of course the, the season in his ministry that he gets to appoint Saul, you have this person who is listening to God and calling things as he hears them to make sure the right people in the right places at the right time because the health of the nation needed somebody who was in the heart, spiritual heartbeat of the nation who who was equipped to hear from God. We in this nation, we need people who hear from God as to what he wants to do. Just rolling out church programs. Trying to shorten our services here or make sure we have flashing lights or responding to culture. We don't need to respond to culture. We need to understand culture, but we need to respond to the word of heaven. Because if you just come to culture with a different culture, all you've got is more culture. But if you come to culture from a perspective of hearing from God, you have a divine solution to the culture. And a lot of church decision making is simply how can we make church feel nicer for people in this particular culture. That's accommodation, that's not deliverance. So what was the, the summation of this? After she gives Samuel away in 2 Samuel 2, chapter, sorry, chapter 2, verse 21, it says the Lord paid attention to Hannah's needs and she conceived and gave birth to then three sons and two daughters. But meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. So, she had nothing, and then she has six. Wow! That's multiplication. But all because she heard God, called on His name, sought His solution, she enabled herself to be instrumental in the birthing of somebody who was going to be a prophetic voice in the land, and then she also got the extra blessing out of that, that she gets three more sons and two daughters. She might have been thinking at the end of all that, God shot my womb again, stop. That's enough. You open my womb, you can close it again. We're done. Particularly she's still living in, a, in the household with Elkanah, as we understand she was, and also uh, his other wife. I imagine it was quite a busy household. So God shows he is just in all of this and he actually comes through and multiplies her situation. She doesn't sow without receiving back. She doesn't sow Samuel into the ministry without receiving more back in return. Because God's no man's debtor. You can't outgive him. He blessed her with Samuel. She sowed him into the ministry for the nation. And then she gets five more. We don't know what happened to them. I'm not privy to any... Particular Hebrew stories about what they went on to do, who knows? But she was blessed. She was blessed. So, in conclusion, and I have been quite quick today, but we've got kids in the meeting, so we need to be. If we can go away with nothing else, go away with this. God knows the secret cries of your heart. He is not indifferent to your suffering, your pain, your sense of injustice, your shame or your discomfort. If He has allowed that in any way, He's only allowed it to draw you close to Him so that you will call on His name and at that point trigger God's response to your situation in such a way that He can deliver you in a way that not only blesses you but can bless everybody else around you as well. God has a bigger picture in mind than your personal struggle. But he's not indifferent to your personal struggle. He's just looking for an opportunity to work through it for a greater good. I imagine if you could sit down with Hannah, and I'm sure you could do this in heaven. I watched the movie last night, 90 Minutes in Heaven. Has anyone seen that? Good. Don Piper's story. In fact, he wished me happy birthday in October through my LinkedIn account. I didn't even know I knew the guy. He's a guy, he's a Baptist pastor in the 90s, had a car crash, he dies for 90 minutes, gets resurrected at the roadside, and he just, he has this long season of rehabilitation, which covers the main part of the movie, actually, but he just recalls what his experience of the gates of heaven were like, and the people who came to meet him, he was dead for 90 minutes, clinically dead. Anyways, great story, I digress, but anyway, if you're up there, you're talking to Hannah, it's free on Netflix, by the way, if you have Netflix, I am finished with that story now. If you could speak to Hannah and she was that there in front of you and you could say to her, would you rather have had no struggle in having a child or to have gone through your struggle and get the outcome that you got, which would you prefer? I guess she would have said the latter. She could have either gone through that situation in life of being married and having no taunting, no struggle, no shame. And just had kids, popping them out like ancient Hebrew women were supposed to in those days. Not today. We don't judge women in that category. But in those days, that was a thing. If you said to me, you, "You can just have it straightforward. Just have kids, no problem." Or you can go through that struggle, and you can actually be instrumental in the deliverance of the nation, releasing a prophetic voice that will see the nation restored and will appoint the most vivid example of the Messiah before Jesus comes to earth in King David, and then you can go on and have another six kids, which would you prefer? I'm sure she'd choose the latter. One day we can all test that and come up to me in heaven and say, I just spoke to Hannah. She said no. She preferred option one. It's hypothetical, maybe. But I think probably that would be the case. We don't know until the end what God has in store for us. We just have to trust that he's doing something. He's aware. He's alert. He's involved. He's not indifferent. And even if you've never shared your struggle with anybody else, God is fully aware of every detail of your situation. And he has a solution ready. He has a solution ready. Now, not everybody's story works out with such a happy ending. God isn't writing Disney movies with our lives. Sometimes our struggles end with real heartbreak. But this is just a glimpse in the pages of Scripture to show that ultimately when God brings the whole story of humanity together, and he shows us how it's all worked out in time, that the sense of God's provision and grace and mercy will outweigh any pain and suffering that we've experienced, ultimately. As we arrive at those gates of heaven, like that guy Don Piper in the movies, I haven't finished with the story, and you get to see how God had worked all this together, all the times you, you didn't get your six children afterwards, or you didn't get your Samuel, where were you in all that God? You will get to see where he was what He saved you from that you didn't see, not just what you didn't get. God is just showing that He's attentive, He's present and He's merciful and He's just. Sometimes our experience doesn't seem that way, but ultimately God will prove Himself faithful when you get to meet with Him. He will show His kindness and His mercy. We just don't get to see the whole picture now. We don't see it. We The Bible describes we look through a glass darkly. We just see glimpses of what's going on. But we have to trust that God has some sort of sovereign plan. He's not using us like pawns on a chessboard just to kind of put us through some manoeuvres to achieve an objective. He cares about every person, every situation. And there are still questions, there are times when I've had that, like I've shared with that prophetic voice, but there have been other times when my prayers have seemed to amount to nothing and I keep moving on. But I remind myself of the times that God did speak, so that when I don't hear God say something or in the timing that I want him to say it, I still trust that he's involved. Don't doubt in the dark what God said in the light. Keep moving Keep trusting and keep obeying and God will work things out let's pray yeah, heavenly father we thank you that you in every life and situation and history represented in this room you were intimately involved you know every struggle every tear that's been shed, every question every concern every cry to you that it's just an exasperation or cry of exasperation, thinking you're not at work. We know from Scripture, God, you are at work. You are loving, you are caring, and you are kind. You are kind when things work out as we want. You are kind when things don't work out as we want. We thank you for the times it does work out as we wish. And for the times it doesn't, we determine, we choose to trust you. We choose to trust you. One day you will wipe every tear from our eyes. One day we will see all of the the things that you see now. all All of the insights and the angles on situations that we aren't privy to that you know about. And so we just choose to let you be God and to trust you as your children. And I pray for peace on everyone in this room. I pray for peace and blessing. I pray for answered prayer. And in the meantime, until your appointed time, I pray that you will help us as your sons and daughters to keep putting one foot in front of the other and trusting you in the process. In Jesus' name, Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchorrington.com